welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to How to Stop Your Clients Catastrophizing About the Future. Three therapy tips that encourage more realistic thinking. What happens if she leaves me? What will people think if I screw my best man's speech up? What if I lose my job? Well, what if? Why don't people know the answers to these questions? And I think it's because they don't really think about the answers, not if they're catastrophizing. But you can help them think about the answers to help them feel better. And that might sound kind of um, contra-intuitive. Take Maggie, who is a client of mine, for instance. Now, Maggie had sat crying in my office. And after three months in hospital for treatment of a psychotic depression, she was now restored to health and about to return to her day job. So what was the problem? Why was she so worried? Well, she was absolutely catastrophizing about going back to work where everyone now thought she was nuts. Going back to work will be a nightmare for me, she said. What is everybody going to think of me? But she kind of knew the answer to that or thought she did. And she sat there weeping in my office. And I said, yes, you'll feel embarrassed, I expect, especially for the first half hour. That will be hard. And I guess it might even feel a bit like a a nightmare, you know, just that first little bit. For the first week, some of your colleagues, uh, maybe most of them will tiptoe around you a bit, perhaps worrying that they might upset you or or be frightened. Uh, They might put too much pressure on you or so forth. You know, they'll be really aware of you and looking out to see that you're okay. In the second week, they'll still be watching you to some extent and still aware to some extent, but not so much because they'll be getting used to having you back in work again. Some will worry more than others. Some will feel relaxed and confident around you again, confident that you really are better. Others will still be a little nervous, perhaps, um, where you're concerned, maybe just here and there. But by the end of the third week, everyone will feel around 80% back to normal, perhaps more than that, as far as you're concerned. Now, to all intents and purposes, many of them will have forgotten that you've ever been in hospital. It'll just return to normal again. And by the end of the fourth week, for the people that you work with, it will be as if you've never had that breakdown. Sure, they'll think about it occasionally, perhaps, but it won't be at the forefront of their minds. But they'll just be getting on with relating to you like they always did. As Maggie, the woman they came to know and like, their colleague, because that is who you are. And she, Maggie sort of smiled at me after, after this, and it was a genuine smile. And uh, she said, you know, I didn't actually expect you to answer my question in such detail, but I sort of feel better that you did. So what therapeutic principle was at play here that helped Maggie so quickly begin to reframe and diminish the catastrophic thinking. Okay, so thinking further than the possible emotional pain. Breaking down probable future reality in a way that makes it feel genuinely manageable is a mainstay of good mental health. When people catastrophize, they look only at the imagined emotional pain of some future event 
And that's it. They ask questions. What if he leaves me? What if she leaves me? But they don't really answer the question. They just ask the question and assume it's going to be absolutely terrible and they'll be wrecked. They don't look any further or consider the likely shades of future experience. They don't consider the steps of that future experience in practical solution-focused terms. If we can encourage them to see beyond just this will be the end of me or this will be the end of the world, they can be reassured that it won't be. Really thinking through a feared event can remove its sting and pave the way to increased emotional security. Catastrophizing has people feeling but not thinking so much. They feel that life will somehow end when everything falls apart. But when we ask, okay, so what would happen exactly? We help our clients feel more secure. Why? Because emotional security is not believing that nothing can go wrong, but that you'll cope with whatever happens. That's the secret of emotional security. Because nobody knows that everything's going to work out. So here are three principles you can apply to help stop your client catastrophizing about their futures. So number one, match their emotional experience. When someone says, what if I lose my job? It's tempting to just say, because generally speaking, it's true. Well, you'll manage somehow. But it's extremely isolating for someone to hear that the thing they dread, the thing they've been worrying about so much, uh, if it were come to pass, would be nothing to worry about. It, it feels like you're minimizing it. Sometimes things are hard. If someone says, what if I get divorced? What if she leaves me? It's no good just jumping to the you'll manage part. Saying, yes, it may well be horrible, at, at least gets the thing they fear right out in the open and acknowledged. Okay. So notice with Maggie, I didn't just say, oh, in a couple of weeks, it will be all back to normal. I first matched her emotional sense of how it might be. I said something like, you know, yes, you'll feel embarrassed. That will be hard. And of course, that's not all I did. Okay. So step number two, go through the likely reality of the feared experience in all its nuances. So you might say, you know, yes, you'll feel embarrassed, especially for the first half an hour. So you're breaking it down and that breaks it down from the all encompassing. It's going to be a nightmare to something that's embarrassing for a while, something that's time limited and not too extreme. We can ask ourselves and our clients questions like, um, what will be the worst part of the experience? Okay. Now, that sounds a strange thing to ask, but again, you're breaking it down, implying the worst part of the experience. If there is one, there must be bits that aren't so bad. We can ask, ask them, how long do you think the worst part will last? At what point will it start to feel a tiny bit better? When people say stuff like, if he leaves me, I'll be devastated. We can, <clears throat> we can let them know we understand the emotional impact, but then start to break it down by using questions or just giving them a sense of moving through the experience and on into a possible life beyond it. For example, um, a client said to me, I just love him so much, but if he leaves me, what then? And I said something like, what then? Well, I imagine you'd feel really heartbroken, even though you say you've been expecting it for a while. It would be awful for the first week in particular. During that time, it would feel like you could think of nothing else. During the second week, you'd still be in shock and horribly upset, 
But although you perhaps wouldn't notice it, you'd actually be thinking about it slightly less, maybe a couple of hours less in the whole week. At this point, we'd expect you to be eating a bit more normally again. We'd expect you to be sleeping a little bit better again. After a few weeks, you'd still get really upset when his name was mentioned or um, things reminded you um, of him. But you'd start reorientating more to your friends again and doing stuff to take your mind off it for a little while. But it would still seem to you as if you were thinking of him all the time, even though you wouldn't be. Okay. At that point, you'd be doing things to make yourself feel better. Spending time with friends who make you feel good, making yourself work and exercise. Okay. And for a few months, it would feel too uh, raw, perhaps too uh, early to date again. But there will be signs and signals that eventually let you know when the time's right. And at some point in the future, you'd look back on that relationship with this particular man and remember the good bits and the bad bits with a level of calm that right now seems hard to believe. Okay, because whatever happens, eventually you will be okay and have a chance of thriving again. So in effect, you're showing them the route, or if you're in America, the route, okay, because you don't, you don't say it properly, through the anticipated horrible event, which shows them there is a way through it. So we, re, we, we realistically break down the end or the nightmare or the unthinkable and project their way through it to the other side. So we're not pretending it could never, ever happen, okay, or we're just telling all it would be fine. We're actually giving them a sense of, of a route or a route. Knowing how you would cope if you lost something can help you enjoy having what you have right now as well. So we can take this further, however. So step number three, imaginatively rehearse them getting through it, what they fear, and eventually thriving, okay, or dealing with it very effectively. Okay. So emotional insecurity of all kinds feeds on the feeling that this will really finish me. But you are, are not your illness or your anger or your depression, Okay, these are visitors in, in the guest house. Responding by pretending that something definitely won't happen when it could can be pretty harmful, you know, because all kinds of things could happen in life. What makes you feel emotionally secure isn't the belief that nothing bad could ever happen, but the feeling that whatever happens, bad as it may be, it will get better or you will respond to it better. And there are things I can do to get through it, to survive and thrive. If someone is terrified of the possibility of some catastrophic event occurring, we can agree it would be horrible, get them to describe in detail what would happen, how long it would be horrible for, how they would get through it, how they'd know that they'd uh, gotten through it, and so on. People need to feel not just that they would survive, but they would thrive, okay, and somehow manage the feared illness or the feared breakup or whatever it might be. You could hypnotically rehearse coping and thriving if the bad thing were to happen. So we're taking the charge out of it. With Maggie, I relaxed her deeply and she rehearsed going back to work in her mind whilst feeling really calm and relaxed. In the movie theatre of her mind, she watched herself going back to work and going through the that uncomfortable first half hour and finding that the, the half hour went really quickly. She saw herself 
getting back into the swing of things again, saw how people were attentive to her at first, but also saw how quickly everything went back to normal, as if she'd never been hospitalised in the first place. And she called me uh, a month after she'd returned to work. And the first thing that she said to me was, Mark, you were wrong. And she had a smile in her voice when she said that. So I was intrigued and I said, wrong about what? And she said, wrong about the first half hour back at work being horrible. Really? Yes, it was just the first 10 minutes. So I hope you found that useful. And if you did, please hit like and subscribe. And if you want to hear where my next video is published, hit the notification bell below. I'm Bart Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. And if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk.com blog. That's unk.com slash blog. And thanks for watching.